Welcome to The Baton, a John Williams musical journey. Join host Jeff Cummings as he takes you through the career of the illustrious film composer John Williams, starting with his debut in 1959 through more than 100 films in 60 years. In this episode, we hear the music from Memoirs of a Geisha, made in 2005. And here's your host, Jeff Cummings. While the first conversations to bring Memoirs of a Geisha to the big screen were just starting, John Williams was already hoping to be a part of what he believed would be a great opportunity as a composer. The 1997 novel told the story of a girl who turns into the most popular geisha in pre-World War II Japan, and Williams saw all sorts of musical possibilities after reading the book. This was the first time that Williams wanted to be a part of a movie before any script had been written or money had been secured and he made sure to keep his name in the conversation throughout the entire process. Luckily, Steven Spielberg was interested in directing Memoirs of a Geisha after he completed work on Saving Private Ryan in 1998. That had to make Williams feel good because he would automatically be the top choice, well, really the only choice, for a composer. As discussions continued, Spielberg was persuaded to put the project aside because he already had a long list of movies that were ready to be made, including AI, artificial intelligence, after the untimely death of Stanley Kubrick. So Spielberg said no to directing Memoirs of a Geisha, but would stay with the project as a producer, while original producers Douglas Wick and Lucy Fisher searched for their director. And Williams, who was undoubtedly the most in-demand composer of the time, lobbied hard to keep his name in the running. Having Spielberg as a producer certainly helped Williams' cause. Taking over as director was Rob Marshall, the Oscar-nominated director of Chicago, who was looking for a non-musical film to keep him from being pigeonholed. Now Marshall had made a name for himself on Broadway, directing and choreographing such musicals as Kiss of the Spider Woman and the 1998 revival of Cabaret. Chicago was Marshall's film debut, and Memoirs of a Geisha was to be his follow-up. So the film project was gaining lots of hype for not just the anticipation of making the novel into a film, but also seeing how the director of the Best Picture winning Chicago would do with characters that don't sing, though there is some dancing involved in certain scenes. Before one frame of the movie was shot, controversy erupted over the casting of Zhang Ziyi, Michelle Yeoh, and Gong Li. The movie takes place entirely in Japan, with all characters except for a few Americans being of Japanese origin. Those ladies I just mentioned were either born in China or are of Chinese descent, and would be playing Japanese women. The Japanese media blasted the production for hiring Chinese actors, as did Chinese media, especially since a portion of Chinese history includes oppression by the Japanese invasion during World War II. This type of casting is not new to Hollywood productions, not by a long shot. I could name Mickey Rooney's casting as a cartoonist Chinese man in Breakfast at Tiffany's as the most obvious miscasting, but putting white actress Louise Rayner in the Oscar-winning lead role of an Asian woman in The Good Earth and giving European roles to American actors has been plaguing Hollywood for decades. And in the same year as Memoirs of a Geisha, Hollywood was in the middle of a debate over hiring straight actors to play the two main gay characters in Brokeback Mountain. But whether they were Chinese actors or Japanese actors, the main hurdle for the leads would be speaking English. Michelle Yeoh has a good grasp of the English language, but Zhang Ziyi and Gong Li had to learn their lines phonetically, especially Gong Li. You can hear the difficulties both actresses have in speaking their lines in certain parts, but it's likely that would have happened for Japanese actors as well. It is exciting to see Zhang Ziyi and Michelle Yeoh on screen together again, five years after Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Zhang plays Chiyo, a girl sold to slavery at nine years old before she becomes a famous geisha named Sao Yuri at 15 years old. And Michelle Yeoh is Mameha, 
a famous geisha who serves as a mentor to Chio. At least one decision Marshall and the rest of the filmmakers made would not be embroiled in controversy. John Williams was hired early on as a composer, and he was ready to put his ideas to work, including infusing Japanese flavors into a westernized score. I was able to put aside all the reports of controversial casting and doubts about Rob Marshall being able to handle the project when I saw the film. I was there, of course, primarily for John Williams' score, and I was not disappointed. The film itself, though, falters in the performances, which I feel comes largely from the fact that the main actors are speaking a language they don't know well. You could tell they're mostly trying to say their lines more than act sometimes. The movie is very pretty to look at with some gorgeous cinematography, as well as amazing costumes and set designs. And the music elevates it even further, bringing some much-needed emotion to certain scenes that really needed them. Now, going back to my earlier mention of Crouching Tiger, much of what Tan Doon did with that Oscar-winning score can be found in the music for Memoirs of a Geisha. Right down to using Yo-Yo Ma's cello to play thematic material for Zhang Ziyi. Williams said in an interview that he had reached out to Yo-Yo Ma before he wrote one note of music, and getting the celebrated cellist allowed Williams to know how to write some of the score. Even before I wrote even the first note of the score, having seen the film without music, I rang up Yo-Yo, who was then somewhere in Asia, I think. It was in China or Japan on a concert tour, and said to him, "Would you, before we had any cello part at all, will you come and play the recording of Memoirs of a Geisha? And he said, yes, and I was thrilled. Any composer would be. Because, particularly in that theme, Sayuri's theme, when in the process of making the, the little tune the, and the theme, when you're writing for a particular artist and you have the sound in your mind, it's, a, it's an impetus, it's a help, it's an inspiration, I would even say. It's, it might be something like a writer who would write a line of dialogue and know that it's going to be Cary Grant reading the line, and if you can think of his voice in the way that he would particularly intone and, 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 and musicalize all of it, it might affect the, the choices that you make. And I think that's true in this case. Yo-Yo's cello is really the sound of Sayuri in, in, the, in the film. Yo-Yo Ma was not the only celebrity soloist to participate in the recording of this score. Itzhak Perlman came in to play the violin solos 12 years after making our hearts ache with his performances in the Schindler's List score. Yo-Yo Ma had been working extensively with John Williams since their collaboration on Seven Years in Tibet in 1997, with about five albums released in those eight years. And as we'll find out shortly, Williams used Ma's and Perlman's gifts very well in Memoirs of a Geisha and knew full well not to waste their talents, as had been unwittingly done with Yo-Yo Ma's score in Seven Years in Tibet. A lot of the score was recorded without a full orchestra, using nine days in August 2005 to record mostly percussion elements and other special solos. Only five days was needed for the full orchestra, though I don't hear any use of brass instruments in this score, so it wasn't really the full orchestra. It's interesting that Williams chose to use a cello to speak for a girl and a violin to speak for the man who loves her. But when you listen to the themes played on each instrument, you can't imagine them being swapped. The cello brings some strength to Chio as she suffers early in her life, and even as she suffers after losing her geisha identity in post-World War II Japan. Williams writes a theme for Chio slash Sariri that might seem sorrowful at the start, but when it's repeated, the notes move up the octave to give it more positivity.
Sayuri's theme, as it's called, doesn't play much in the film. Definitely not as much as you might think for a theme written for the main character. It comes up first during Chayo's train ride from her seaside home to her new home in Kyoto, and then only briefly during her first day in the Hanamachi. It doesn't come back for 45 minutes, playing during a very pivotal montage scene when Chio transforms into a geisha. Montages are, as I've said many times, great for film composers because they often use little dialogue, so the music needs to tell the story. Sayuri's theme gets the full development here, making this the true musical highlight of the film. There's another theme associated with Sayuri, and I'm not sure a lot of people pick up on it. I suppose it's not really a theme, but more of a minor melody for many of Sayuri's conflicts. It comes in the form of wavering notes in the strings, playing when Sayuri finds herself at a crossroads and needs to make a decision about her life. The other major theme of the movie makes its debut when we first see the chairman, played by Ken Watanabe, as he consoles Chio after she learns that her parents have died. At this moment, Chio is just nine years old and not a geisha, and doesn't really know what love is, but she wants to be a part of the chairman's life, and she believes that being a geisha will make that happen. Williams writes this theme for the chairman, a powerful man in Japanese society who talks of kindness and puts a smile on a young girl's face and writes it as a waltz to be played by Itzhak Perlman's violin. He even calls the concert suite of it the chairman's waltz. (laughs) 
Then comes the film's iconic shot of Chio running through a tunnel of bamboo painted orange, and the theme gets stronger with Chio's resolve to see the chairman again. The movie transitions to some time later when the Japanese army evacuates Kyoto. The conflict theme returns as the chairman tries to get Sayuri and Mameha into hiding to escape persecution for being geishas. The chairman's theme comes in on the horns as Salieri leaves town while the chairman looks on. An interesting decision to put this theme on the horns and not on Itzhak Perlman's violin. So you can't really say that the chairman's theme is a love theme because it's not really used when Sayuri is talking about her love for the chairman or thinking about it or even when they speak. There is sort of a love theme in the film though, but it doesn't seem to be derived from either Sayuri's theme or the chairman's theme. Its introduction comes late in the movie when Sayuri feels that there is no hope that the chairman will reciprocate the feelings of love she has for him. She has been carrying a handkerchief he gave her as a young child, and in a heartbreaking scene, and also beautifully, beautifully photographed, she walks out onto a cliff and releases it into the wind and out to sea. In the film, this love theme transitions to Sayuri's theme as she lets the handkerchief go.
Yo-Yo Ma's cello comes in with the orchestra to play this love theme, Mourning the Loss of Love. The cello gets a full solo rendition on the soundtrack CD with no orchestral accompaniment. In the finale, Sayuri and the chairman finally confess their love for each other. John Williams brings back the love theme he introduced in the handkerchief scene just a couple of scenes earlier, a little more hopeful this time. The chairman's theme is never heard in this scene, perhaps because its 3-4 time signature doesn't work well with the conventional 4-4 of Sayuri's theme. After Sayuri confesses her love, the chairman touches her face, and Yo-Yo Ma goes all in as well. And finally, the kiss we've been waiting for the entire movie.
This is absolutely my favorite part of the soundtrack, and the track is titled Confluence, a word which means, quote, a flowing together of two streams, rivers, or the like, end quote. Water is a major theme of the film, and the title here suggests Salieri and the chairman finally merging to create one connected river. That's probably one of the best track titles John Williams has created. It has meaning and doesn't fully give away the scene to which it is attached. So I spent a lot of time talking about the themes that run through the film, but what I have been most excited to talk about since the beginning of this episode are the scenes featuring music performed on Japanese instruments and would be essentially standalone pieces because they don't feature any of the established thematic material. This is not the first time Williams has used Japanese instruments in a film score. You have to go all the way back to 1965 and None But the Brave when Williams employed several Japanese instruments for use in a pivotal flashback scene. This time, though, the instruments play a much bigger role. I'm going to highlight three of the instruments, the shakuhachi flute, the kodo, and the taiko drums. The shakuhachi flute, made of bamboo, has been used by Williams in other films besides None But the Brave. I remember it being used in Jurassic Park, for example. And it's a common instrument for many other composers looking for a woodwind instrument that sounds more earthy. The score to Memoirs of a Geisha opens with a long shakuhachi flute performance as Chio is taken from her home on the Japanese coast in the middle of the night. Shakuhachi flute is played by Masakazu Yoshizawa for Memoirs of a Geisha. He was the one playing the shakuhachi flute in the scene when Dennis steals the dinosaur embryos in Jurassic Park. Other movies in which he contributed were the original Karate Kid films and the Joy Luck Club. Memoirs of a Geisha was Yoshizawa's final film score contribution, succumbing to stomach cancer in 2007. The shakuhachi flute is possibly the most prevalent of all the ethnic instruments featured in the score, and it sets the tone of the first half of the movie very well. Once Memoirs of a Geisha turns into a love story after the one-hour mark, the flute goes away for the most part in favor of more traditional woodwinds. But there is a lengthy part of the score featuring a stunning shakuhachi flute as Salieri prepares to give her virginity to a man called Dr. Crab. The scene has no words, and the flute is certainly an interesting choice over Yo-Yo Ma's cello playing Salieri's theme in this pivotal scene.
If you watch a lot of Japanese films, you probably hear the koto used in almost every score. It's the national instrument of Japan and has a unique sound. You can hold it in your hands and play it, but it's best placed on a table and plucked. The pitches of the strings can be changed by moving the tuning bridges, and if you have the two-disc DVD of Memoirs of a Geisha, you could see the koto performed briefly in the making of featurette about the score. The koto gets its time to shine in a scene where a young Chio is forced to ruin the dress of Michelle Yeoh's Mameha by brushing some ink onto the expensive silk. Yes, you'll hear the shakuhachi flute, but this is all about the koto creating some levity in the scene as two older geishas trick Chio into brushing the ink onto the silk. You'll hear a big flourish on the flutes as the brush touches the silk. Masayo Ishiguri playing the koto. She's been playing the koto since she was five years old and has founded an ensemble of koto players that tours the world. She has to have some very nimble fingers to navigate the notes in that scene so well. The music puts much more energy into the scene than is there in the visuals, and it really makes this scene such a delight to watch and to hear. Taiko drums are enormous, they're really big, and they put a lot of might into this score. They're front and center in the montage scene when Chio transforms into Sayuri the Geisha. They come in for the part of the montage which William says will highlight, quote, a suggestion of a sacrifice, end quote, in Sayuri's transformation as she learns how to lie on her back, also how to paint her eyebrows, and how to style her hair. as the montage changes tone, the drums never go away. Mm -hmm. 
besides the use of the taiko drums, I love how Sayuri's theme goes back and forth between the violins and Yo-Yo Ma on the cello. It's one way that Williams keeps the theme from being repetitive during this five-minute montage. I really can't get enough of the scene in which nine-year-old Chio is sent to geisha school. Well, I should say that I can't get enough of the music for this scene. The visuals are nice, including some nice steadicam shots as the girls run through the street. The music for it, though, does not feature any thematic material, but Yo-Yo Ma is the star of the piece, with accompanying percussion as we see Chio and her friend Pumpkin running through the street. Here comes the koto. At the end there, Yo-Yo Ma's cello has a little back and forth with another instrument, though it's not part of the traditional orchestra. The notes are being played by taking a violin bow and rubbing it over a metal bowl. Again, I urge you to watch the featurette talking about the score on the Memoirs of a Geisha DVD. You'll see this bowl being played, for lack of a better word. It's pretty fantastic that they can get real musical notes through this technique. The movie gives us a happy ending, sort of, as the narration indicates that a geisha can only be half a wife. But the real happy ending is getting the full and unedited concert versions of both the chairman's theme and Sayuri's theme for the end credits. The concert version of Sayuri's theme is pretty much what we heard in the montage sequence, but with an extension that gives Itzhak Perlman and Yo-Yo Ma each an opportunity to perform the main theme.
Before recording wrapped up on the Memoirs of a Geisha score, John Williams had the time to crank out three special recordings for piano and cello. Naturally, Yo-Yo Ma was asked to play the cello parts, and John Williams himself played piano. Each piece is a different arrangement of music written for the film, including Sari Reese theme, and music for the going to school scene, and the music for the handkerchief release scene. If you want to get a copy of this recording, you can find it exclusively on iTunes as the Memoirs of a Geisha live sessions. Memoirs of a Geisha was released in the United States on December 9, 2005, at the same time as the second remake of King Kong and the first installment of the Chronicles of Narnia. It also had the misfortune to come out the same weekend as Brokeback Mountain, a film that carried a lot more press to its opening weekend and affected its box office take. Memoirs of a Geisha did earn $57 million in the United States, but the controversy over casting meant it would not get a lot of ticket sales in Asia. The movie made back its money, earning $158 million worldwide. Critics were divided on the film, with some saying they loved the portrayal of the actresses, while others say they could see the cracks in the dialogue. Everyone did agree it was definitely a well-designed and photographed film, though. As for the score, most reviews didn't mention it, though I did see some that mentioned John Williams and they used the words haunting and lyrical to describe the music, and that pretty much fits to a T. But I guess because most of the critics were not unanimous in praise for the film, the push to make Memoirs of a Geisha a Best Picture nominee at the Oscars fizzled quickly. When it came time for peer nominations, John Williams' name was the one that was mentioned the most. He received a nomination for Best Score by the Golden Globes, competing against music from Brokeback Mountain, King Kong, Syriana, and the Chronicles of Narnia. And for the first time in 23 years, 23 years, John Williams was announced as the winner for Best Score at the Golden Globes. It would earn Williams his fourth Golden Globe for original score, putting him in a three-way tie with John Barry and Dimitri Tiomkin for the most honored composers by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. As of the recording of this episode, this is the last time John Williams would win a Golden Globe. And of course, his speech was succinct and gracious. Our category is Best Original Score, Motion Picture. And here are the nominees. Alexandra Desplat, Siriana. Harry Gregson Williams, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. James Newton Howard, King Kong. Gustavo Santa Olala, Brokeback Mountain. John Williams, Memoirs of a Geisha. Your turn. And the Golden Globe goes to? John Williams, Memoirs of a Geisha. Thank you very much, Foreign Press, ladies and gentlemen. A special warm thanks to Yo-Yo Ma, Itzhak Perlman, and a wonderful orchestra, and to one of the most gracious and sublimely gifted people that I know, Rob Marshall. Thank you very much. Though the Golden Globes for original score and the Oscar for original score don't always line up, it foretold good things for John Williams' chances to win a sixth Oscar. Another good omen was John Williams winning the score award at the British Academy Film Awards about two weeks before the Oscars. Unfortunately, the belief that Oscar voters pick a score that came from a movie nominated for Best Picture held true that year, 
as Gustavo Santolaya went for his sparse score to Brokeback Mountain. I don't mind the score to Brokeback Mountain, but none of the music moments hold a candle to even the smallest musical moment in Memoirs of a Geisha. I vividly remember watching the Oscar telecast that year, and after seeing Memoirs of a Geisha win art direction, costume design, and cinematography, I thought Academy voters really did like the film and would honor the score too. Oh well. About a year later, though, John Williams was a multiple Grammy nominee in 2007. And because the calendar year for those awards is very different, Williams' two nominations for Memoirs of a Geisha didn't come until a year after the film was released. Good things come to those who wait, though, because Williams picked up a Grammy for Best Soundtrack for Memoirs of a Geisha, number 10 in that category. The end credits music was nominated for Best Instrumental Composition, but it lost. You could feel the passion John Williams had for this score in pretty much every note, and you could feel that he had plenty of time to make it happen. And once he was done with Memoirs of a Geisha, Williams was able to take his time transitioning to his next project, another Spielberg film examining another tragedy in Jewish culture. I'm looking forward to closing out 2005 in this journey through John Williams' career with an examination of the score to Munich on the next episode. And it's going to be the 100th episode of The Baton. So please join me for the celebration. Everyone, I really hope you're enjoying each episode of the podcast and learning a lot about John Williams' music. Please feel free to send me an email at jeffswim at aol.com and also tell others you know about the show. Until next time, The Baton is down. <laughs>